16 years. That is how long German Chancellor Angela Merkel stayed in office. An entire generation of young Germans have grown up under her administration. And by most accounts, it has been a steady and prosperous decade and a half for Germany. But soon, Angela Merkel will step down from politics altogether. And in last week's elections, it was not Merkel's party that won the majority of the vote. What do these elections mean for the future of Germany? And what effect could they have on the world? From the School of Diplomacy at Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Eric Butts. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the situation within Germany is Liam Brucker Casey. Hey, Liam. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. And focusing on international reactions and events is Sebastian Kobeck. Hey, Sebastian. Hey, Eric. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. So let's jump right into the election. Um, can one of you guys tell me what the polling like was like leading up to this election and whether or not there were any surprises when the election actually took place? Sure. So... In the lead-up to the election, in the last couple months, there have been a lot of ups and downs for various parties. Going towards the election and the kind of leading up the last you know, month or so, the you know, conservative CDU, CSU, the party of Angela Merkel, generally seemed to have a slight lead over the uh, SDP, the Social Democratic Party, which is the center-left party. But obviously, the Social Democrats came ahead, but that isn't really the whole story. Um, in fact, on the campaign, the Greens actually, for the first time in German history, were pulling above both of the two major parties. This lead was not sustained. There were a few controversies that caused the Greens' support to plummet a little bit, but it has definitely been a very interesting race, to say the least. Yeah, and so like the the surprise here is that the Merkel's party has not won re-election. It is in fact the Social Democrats. Can you tell us more about the Social Democrats? Well, the Social Democrats or the SDP are the oldest party in Germany. They are center left to slightly more far left. The uh, the left party would you know comprise mm-hmm. the furthest left wing political ideologues. But for the last almost two decades, the SDP has not been the majority party, but has actually ruled uh, most recently in coalition with the center-right party. It had seemed before this election to be the uh, CDUs to win, but Mm -hmm. under Olaf Scholz, the leader of the SDP, they were able to capitalize on some weaknesses and get slightly ahead. Okay. And you're getting at, you're mentioning coalitions, and we'll get into that. But you're, you're bringing up that elections in Germany are not the same as elections in the U.S. There aren't just two pol- parties, for one. We've already discussed four, uh, and there's more. And it's not majority takes all. I mean, we talked about the, the Social Democrats only won 20-something percent of the vote. Am I correct in saying that? I think a little bit more, but, but yeah, definitely... Yeah. Not a majority. It's not like they're, they're winning over 50%. So how do, how do German elections work uh, as compared to, to U.S. elections? 
Uh, yeah, so um, it's quite interesting. Uh, when Germans go to the polls, they don't vote for their sort of executive like we do here in the States. Okay. They vote twice. One of their votes goes to voting for di- direct, uh, directly for representatives that go into a Bundestag. Mm-hmm. And a second vote goes into they vote for a party. And so after these sort of votes are calculated, there a sort of so a certain percentage of the votes for parties gotcha. are recalculated back into sort of uh, the election into the Bundestag, mm-hmm. and from there, uh, various parties are sort of given a number of seats. And the threshold to be actually given these seats is a party. A party itself has to reach five percent. Exactly. So th- this role, the role of coalition building in German elections, and honestly, in a lot of European elections, is extremely important. In this case, we have not a clear coalition. Am I correct in saying that, Liam? So far, correct. Yes. So what needs to be done to form a government now? Well, any coalition and any to form a government, it will be necessary to form a coalition, is going to require at least you know, 51% or at least over 50% of seats in the Bundestag. Mm-hmm. Right now, no party holds that, and no party is really all that close either. So for the... SDP, they have a slight lead in seats over the uh, CDU, CSU, but they will most likely need to court both the Greens and the FDP, which is kind of a liberal and in that sense, not a liberal in the American sense, really, but kind of an economically laissez-faire pro-business sense. It will need to kind of court both of these parties um, in order to form a government. And the interesting thing is that the Greens are slightly more closely aligned ideologically with the SDP, but mm-hmm. especially when you take in the Liberals, that will be somewhat of a rough coalition to form. There are very different priorities within all these parties. Okay, and that's the most likely coalition, what we're talking about. Are there any other possible uh, scenarios here, Sebastian? There's a number of different coalitions. Obviously, the uh, one that Liam mentioned is commonly sort of referred to as a traffic-like coalition due to sort of the colors being, you know, red, yellow, and green. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, the other sort of coalitions possible are, first off, there's it's called a grand coalition, which would be the SPD sort of allying a little bit with the CDU, CSU, mm-hmm. though both party leaders have stated that they don't want this outcome. So it's unlikely. It's, it's quite unlikely. The, the more likely option if it's not going to be SPD, it's actually the CDU, CSU, mm-hmm. forming a similar coalition with the Greens and FDP. Okay. So it is possible that even though the SPD won the, the not, plur, uh, not majority, plurality of the vote here, that the CDU could still form a government? Yeah, totally. It's unlike a lot of other European countries, yeah. Parties in Germany can basically form coalitions with one, well, with one another without sort of the need to have the highest vote share party be in the sort of coalition. Okay. And in Germany in particular, the coalition talks basically start at any time. It, it, the uh, SPD doesn't get sort of first dibs at forming a coalition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, these these parties are all started, starting to talk with one another. And Absolutely. it's actually the Greens and... Uh, FDP that are actually starting talks first uh, yeah. because they want to see where their mutual interests lie before talking to either of the two major parties. And and the extra kind of complication for the Social Democrats is that 
the FTP have made no secret about the fact that they much prefer the CDU, given that they most they more closely align economically on kind of a commitment to avoid uh, debt spending and and you know keeping a tighter budget. Okay. The Greens, you know, obviously you would assume maybe they're more left wing, so they're going to be more likely to you know join with the Social Democrats, but that's not at all a, a foregone conclusion. It could very well happen that they get more concessions from the CDU, which some have speculated that the leader of the CDU may be more willing to give concessions mm-hmm. um, because he has to, given that he doesn't have a plurality, that the Greens may actually kind of form this coalition with the uh, FDP and the CDU in what is, in contrast to the the traffic light coalition called the yeah. Jamaica coalition because it's black, yellow, and green. Okay, so we have creative names for the coalitions. As this this political talks are going on between these party leaders, I mean, how long could it take for Germany to have a government? Well, it, ha- it has, Angela Merkel stays in power until government's formed, right? Uh, yeah, she sort of uh, takes over as a, it's, it's called a caretaker government or a caretaker chancellor. Yeah. But uh, sort of to answer your question, party leader of the SPD, uh, Olaf Scholz, mm-hmm. has said that he's wanted to sort of quickly form his coalition and get it done by uh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And but that's uh, still, I mean, that's still a couple months away. It's still a couple months away. And uh, the last time, I believe, these coalitions, the coalition negotiations took place, uh, it took upwards of about six months. And so it can take quite a long time for these parties to sort of negotiate, sort of fine-tune exactly like what they want out of these negotiation deals. Okay. All right. And um, I wanted to talk briefly more about the two main parties here. Let's start with the one that had power, the CDU. You also mentioned that it's called the CSU as well. What's the, the the difference there? So the CDU is the national party that the standard bearer of you know, center-right politics in Germany. But actually, Bavaria, which has traditionally kind of kept some autonomy and, and a distinct identity, has basically its own version of the CDU that runs in tandem with the CDU, but only runs in Bavaria. And that's the, the CDU does not run in Bavaria. It's just the CSU. So basically, it's all essentially one party, but they kind of join together because Bavaria is a little bit special when it comes to Germany because of their distinct identity. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty interesting, actually. It'd be like if a state political party joined with a... Anyways, though, will the CDP act as an opposition party, essentially, if if the SDP, which, as we said, is not a, it's not a foregone conclusion, if the SDP forms a government, will the CDP now act as an opposition government? Yeah, the CDU would sort of take its role as opposition. And the re- reason the CDU doesn't sort of uh, ally with, for example, AFD, is because all the sort of parties within okay, Germany... Okay, hold on. Who are AFD? Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. AFD, uh, also known as Alternative for Deutschland, is a far-right party within Germany, ah. which you know, might be willing to form a coalition with the CDU, but the CDU and the rest of the parties within Germany have basically completely uh, opted out of allying with them because of their sort of taboo far-right views. Yeah, they're such a social pariah or a political pariah that they hold a very large amount of seats that would you know, potentially benefit the CDU mm. um, in forming a coalition. 
but because of just how radical and how you know taboo they're seen that basically it's it's standard that all the other parties kind of have them in a sort of quarantine that nobody wants to touch because it's so yeah. uh, radioactive and the AFD is one of those parties that kind of burst forth in the scene or at least arose in popularity in response to like the the refugee crisis in 2015 yeah absolutely and and the thing is that the situation that we have currently now this is speculation but there are a lot of unknowns and because of that there could be developments last election the CDU and the Social Democrats actually ended up forming a government. That wasn't their first choice, but that ended up having to happen. So that could happen again. Or the AFD might be seen as a last resort and possibly form a coalition with the CDU. That's unlikely, but a lot of things are still up in the air as of right now. Well, I was going to say it's amazing how much uncertainty there is after an election, but I mean, considering the recent U.S. election, I, I guess we can get used to that now. Uh, what's the, the background on Social Democrats? What's their whole party platform? What's their background? Well, the Social Democrats kind of came out of the left-wing uh, movements, you know, Weimar Germany before World War II, which was, you know, definitely had a more distinctively socialist kind of bend. Um, over time, their politics have slightly moderated. You know, social democracy is not the same as socialism. Social democracy, by and large, is a you know pro-capitalist but you know kind of trying to rein in the excesses of capitalism is kind of a good summary mm. so it's definitely the you know center-left party some analogous parties would be the labor party in the uk the democrats in the united states are, are a bit more of a broad-based party so it, it's not a perfect yeah. one-to-one but definitely they they advocate for pro-worker politics you know helping out workers and, and deficit spending and, and support of social programs, that's the kind of thing that the Social Democrats uh, champion. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, let's let's broaden out our perspective a bit to be a little more international. How, I mean, how important is Germany for this region, for Europe, and, and for the world, even? I mean, that's hard to quantify. But you mean, like, yeah. generally speaking, I hear talk about Germany a lot when I hear news about Europe. I think uh, it's important to sort of recognize how um, important uh, Angela Merkel, uh, Merkel was. Uh, Her specifically. Just to sort of the European identity and the European Union, as well as uh, getting through sort of the two big major crises uh, that the European Union faced in the last decade, which is sort of a Eurozone crisis as well as the migrant crisis. And so her stepping back and, you know, a new chancellor sort of taking her place is incredibly crucial as Germany is one of the largest economies in Europe and has a tremendous influence in the EU and EU Parliament, yeah. just more generally. And if she was so important, and she, I mean, she had popularity, I mean, she, well, at least she had persistent popularity because she stayed in power for 16 years. Why is she stepping down? What happened? Was it just, you know, a personal choice, or, or were there other reasons? Was her popularity starting to slip? Um, I mean, I think Angela Merkel was still clearly pretty popular. I mean, she left you know, the current leader, Armin Laschet, with, you know, a pretty popular party that he, you know, managed to somewhat bungle. But I, I think it is definitely a credit to her kind of 
her leadership and her she she's left a perf- she will leave a profound legacy on Germany and Europe as a whole kind of this you know very centrist pro EU kind of politics if you think about kind of in the past some ways that Germany has kind of affected the EU is it's kind of championed austerity especially when it came to Greece earlier on and th- this has really kind of affected the EU in so many ways you know i mean the last you know 20 years has seen a kind of a significant rise in euroscepticism and i'm not necessarily qualified to say whether or not that's due in part to angela merkel or or could have been much stronger had angela merkel not been at the helm but I think she has left a very consequential leadership, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm still curious, though. Why why does she choose now to step down? Do you have any more insight, Sebastian? I think part of it is she sort of reflected back at her you know, 16 years of uh, leadership and sort That's of true. recognizes <laughs> that it might be time for just a new leader to sort of step forward. Yeah. Obviously, uh, this announcement was made all the way back in uh, 2019, and the... Uh, CDU has really kind of been attempting to find a new sort of leader for the party yeah. after sort of the 2019 elections, uh, European Parliament elections did not go their way. Mm-hmm. And uh, even now, it seems that uh, Armin Laschet has not sort of fit the role that Germans held Angela yeah. Merkel to. Yeah. And who in Angela Merkel's place? Though obviously, I mean, there'll be whoever knew it ends up as chancellor. In the meantime, who's fulfilling leadership in Europe? And while the new person uh, gets settled in to being chancellor and begins to gain clout, who is going to be the top dog of of Europe, of Western Europe? Who's going to fill that power void if Angela Merkel had so much power? You know, I think a lot of people are probably going to turn towards Macron in France as he's sort of been there the longest and obviously France would be sort of almost a, if you want to call it a second place, to sort of... (laughs) <laughs> being, yeah. you know, a large economy and a really influential state in Europe. Mm-hmm. That being said, he's also facing his own re-election campaign coming soon. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really actually remains to be seen if, you know, Macron is still going to sort of have this key position in leadership yeah. or whether it's almost going to be a bit of a fresh start for these sort of uh, pro-EU sort of European leaders. Okay, absolutely. And, I mean, what effect do you think that Merkel stepping down, potentially Macron stepping up. What effect is this going to have on the system that Merkel worked so hard to build? I mean, it's very pro-EU. She was steadfast in that respect. It was pro-austerity measures for the most part. They weren't borrowing large amounts of debt, nothing near what the U.S. was doing. I mean, what's going to happen to these policies? Do you think Maybe there might be a reevaluation there, reevaluation of the EU, reevaluation of austerity. Either of you? I think uh, I don't want to jump the gun, so I think we could get maybe more to American and, and Russian and Chinese kind of implications. But I mean, I think for e for the EU, I think the Social Democrats, it should be said, are not a big departure in many respects mm-hmm. towards uh, Merkel's stance towards the EU. They're still, you know, pro-EU, and while they may be the, you know, the left-wing party, again, the last government, the last Bundestag, was a government comprised of the Social Democrats and the Conservatives as the as a coalition together, uh, like a formal coalition, right? So clearly, their politics are not so 
distinct that this is going to cause you know chaos in Europe. I, I don't think that's going to happen. There's going to be changes for sure, especially with the kind of new coalition partners potentially, with the Liberals and the Greens. But I don't think listeners should think that there's going to be a huge change in terms of overall uh, European politics because of this. No. Yeah, I mean, of course, you're at the STP was in the previous government or a previous government with the CDP. So there is some level of continuity there, even though the, the party in power has shifted. Let's turn to some of the issues of, of these parties. Uh, what was the most important issue for German voters? What was the main thing these parties were competing for over to win? Oh, um, I, I think that um, uh, analysts overwhelmingly sort of uh, see the environment as a key priority issue for German voters this time around. This is in part uh, due to uh, recent flooding that Germany experienced. That's right. And um, one of the big one of the big political gaffes that uh, Armin Laschet made during the campaign, which you know a lot of people say might have cost him the election, was that uh, during this sort of uh, a speech in a flood affected town, he was seen laughing in the background at a at a joke. Which yeah. was really yeah. it's a, just a, a gaff, really bi- really bad gaff, and so because of this flooding, a lot of German voters uh, really prioritized environmental issues and really wanted to see you know what the German parties put forth in their environmental platforms. Okay, and that I mean that's interesting because I don't think of the environment, except maybe among the youth in the U.S. I don't think of the environment as the main issue that people vote on at all. So it's really interesting to see how important that issue has become uh, in Europe, or at least in Germany. What do most of these parties and the STP, what do they think about the EU? We've already kind of established it's pretty much the same, pretty much pro-EU. Yeah, I'd say that there's consensus among the leading parties that the EU is you know, a good thing. Um, the AFD That's the is... The exception, and then the left is probably the left party, um, is a little bit probably there's you know division among its members, but by and large uh, the majority of German politics is pro EU. Okay, and what about German relations, and by proxy EU relations, because they have so much influence in the EU? What consequences could this election have on on U.S. relations? Well, uh, you know, most of the, uh, almost all the sort of main four parties that could possibly be in the coalition are pretty much all on the same page on terms of American-German relations mm-hmm. uh, and that they want strong German-American relations. That being said, there is a little bit more nuance there uh, with each sort of country's policy. The SPD and the Greens especially have sort of prioritized really reanalyzing the German-American relationship mm-hmm. and making it so that Germany isn't necessarily seen as a junior partner to the mm-hmm. United States mm-hmm. and really works with, um, not just with Germany, but with the rest of Europe on all sorts of uh, issues related to security, technology, the environment, really all, all sort of fields. And would that sort of play into Macron's notion of having like a separate European defense force or are they still very satisfied, or are most German parties still very satisfied with NATO? I think when it comes to defense and things like that, I don't know that there's been as much of a of an inclination to really change too much. Mm. But I mean, this is part of a, a broader trend in Europe. Definitely since Trump's election to the presidency, pretty much all of European leadership has really been taking a step back and, and analyzing its kind of dependence 
and kind of lockstep foreign policy with the United States. Because it's, it's kind of seen that the United States can be pretty, or the United States has proved itself to be a little bit or a lot unreliable in certain foreign policy respects. And even with a return to somewhat of a more establishment figure like Joe Biden, the kind of the pullout of Afghanistan has, has still shown that there's a certain level of resistance or, yeah. or withdrawal of certain internationalist kind of stances of the United States. Yeah. And um, I think this has really given all of Europe a lot of pause. Yeah. I think we'll kind of get into this, but there's also American concerns with Germany and Russia, but I'll, I'll let you kind of lead into yeah. that. Yeah. Well, we're starting to, to wind down on time, so I'm going to lump them together. What about Russian and Chinese relations? Is there any variation among the parties or any potential change in those relations? You know, I think this is actually one of the uh, places that's really quite interesting because the CDU and the SPD really uh, have been kind of soft on both Russia and China Mm -hmm. uh, on a tremendous amount of issues. It's actually been the Greens and the FDP that have been a lot more critical of uh, German-Russian relations and German-Chinese relations. Mm If you look at sort of our party manifestos, while all of them sort of do sort of criticize Russia for the annexation of Crimea and supporting separatists in eastern Ukraine, as well as the sort of uh, atrocities occurring against the Uyghurs in China, Mm -hmm. it's really been the Greens and FDP that have really gone into detail denouncing these issues. And one of those sort of Greens platforms is actually to cancel uh, the Nord Stream pipeline with Russia. Interesting. So the Green has some more policies against... Russia than, than Merkel did. Oh, definitely. And okay. and America has been pretty um, adamant about its opposition to this pipeline with Russia, because obviously it sees it as a liability. It doesn't necessarily want, the United States doesn't want Russia to gain a ton of influence in Germany. And, and it sees that especially if Germany becomes dependent on Russia for an immense amount of um, fuel, that this could kind of weaken Germany and, you know, cause it to be a little bit quieter in opposing Mm -hmm. um, Russia, to say the least. And so the Greens have been very vocal against this because that kind of lines up with their ecological stance. But there's actually even been one of the party leaders, and this was somewhat seen as controversial in a gaffe Mm -hmm. um, earlier in the campaign trail. One of the leaders of the Green Party actually supported military support for uh, Ukraine in opposing Russia. Okay, as much as I would love to continue this discussion, because it's been fascinating, it's such an important election, although a lot of the parties have very similar stances, except on a key few issues. But that is all we have time for today. This has been a fantastic discussion. Liam, Sebastian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having us on. Joining me now to round on some other headlines this week is our news producer, Hamza Khan. Hey, Hamza. Hey, Eric. So what are you keeping an eye on this week? Yeah, so this week, there was a bombing at a mosque in Kabul that killed many civilians. There have been many protests throughout Brazil against President Bolsonaro. And France has announced that they will freeze electricity prices for consumers. Okay, so let's start with what happened with the bombing in Kabul. Yeah, so on Sunday, October 3rd, a a bomb went off early in the morning at the Eidgah Mosque in Kabul during a Taliban memorial service, which killed at least five civilians and injured four others. And the bombing, it's suspected to have been carried out by ISIS-K. And mm-hmm. it's the first bombing in Kabul since the last ISIS-K attack at the airport, which killed 13 U.S. soldiers and uh, 170 Afghan civilians. 
So terrorism isn't fully gone from Afghanistan. And that was their biggest promise, too, from the Taliban. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what, what's going on in Brazil? Why are people protesting there? So essentially thousands of people, they came out all over Brazil to protest against President Jair Bolsonaro's handling of the COVID pandemic mainly, which has killed around 600,000 Brazilians. Brazilian elections will take place a year from now, and the opposition parties, they've been organizing around the clock against him, and they're polling much better than he is because his favorability ratings are very low at the moment. Okay. And and finally, going back to Europe now, uh, what's going on in France? So France's prime minister announced that the government would freeze electricity and natural gas prices for consumers as prices surge. Currently, Europe is undergoing a massive energy shortage and a massive crisis at the moment because of countries reopening after the pandemic and there being a shortage of fuel and energy. So prices are skyrocketing, but the French government, they announced they'll freeze prices for the consumers and they'll take the cost onto themselves. They'll subsidize it. Yeah. Natural gas prices skyrocketing across Europe and the world. Uh, Thank you so much, Hamza. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. And that is all we have time for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew. Executive producer Jared Dang, associate producers Jasmine DeLeon and Joaquin Matsumis, and technical producer Chimdi Chukwukere. And of course, your host, Eric Bunce. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thank you.